0: everyone and welcome
1: to the categorically romance podcast my name is sarah and i'm brie and joining us today we have special guest the author regina kyle is here thank you regina for joining us on the podcast today tell us how 2022 has started out for you uh slow (laughs)
2: <laughs> a little bit of a slow start. I'm picking up. I'm picking up steam. You know, it's it's been and cold. It's been really cold up here yes. in the northeast. So, uh, my fingerless writing gloves are getting a are getting a good workout. But slow but good. You know, I'm 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 feeling good about the stuff I'm working on, and that's always nice. Good. Awesome. Yeah. So let's
0: start off off with some icebreakers. If you came with a warning label, what would it say?
2: Uh, probably something like talks too
0: much. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I was just like, same. Yeah.
2: I was sitting down with this with my daughter last night, and she was, she'd be like, you know, too hot to handle. I'm like, that's very flattering, Marissa. <laughs> you're, you're very sweet. But, Aww. But, uh, but no, definitely more something like talks too much or difficult to shut up. Or
0: <laughs> We would love to hear you speak about your love of theater.
2: Oh, oh God. This could take the whole podcast. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, I was a really shy kid. Um, up until about fifth grade when my best friend, Annie Pulaski, got me to audition for a children's theater production of Tom Sawyer. I grew up in a town that still to this day has the oldest continuously operating children's theater in the United States. And, um, so she convinced me. And I remember my family was supposed to go to this Chinese restaurant that night that we only went to on like really special occasions because it was like 30 minutes from our house, you know, which was so far. And um, and so I convinced my parents to move that to another night so I could audition for Tom Sawyer with my friend Annie. And she, of course, got cast as Tom's uh, sister, you know, this cute girly role. And I got cast as Muff Potter, the town drunk, who spent like <laughs> half the part of the play, like laying on stage. People thought I was dead, but I was really just, passed out drunk but but i loved it and thus began my my long career in children's theater playing either boys parts or animals i played a lot of animals
1: (laughs) wow
2: (laughs) but um and it really did bring me out of my my shell i really credit theater and i had an amazing um director um who has now left us, named Joan Gustafson. And I'll never forget, I started, that was when I was about in fifth grade that that Annie got me to audition for that play. And then when I was in eighth grade, they were doing, they did a play, or eighth or ninth grade, they did a play that year where we were all parts of a machine that cranked out Aesop's fables, and then we would act out the fables. Oh, that's and one cool. of the fables was the uh, lie, the country mouse and the city mouse. And I was the city mouse and I was supposed to be really cool. And I had a solo, which was like a big deal, you know, and I've never had a solo before and I had to do this. It was kind of like scatting, scooby doo bidoo, doo And I would always do it, but like I would always hold back because I was nervous and I was still intimidated by some of the older kids who were in high school and older than me and were like super cool in the theater circle. And um, I'll never forget one day about a week or two weeks before we opened the show, um, she pulled me a and said, um, she said, I need to see it today. I need to see you really do it full out today, or I'm going to have to take this part away from you. And I was like, oh, no, don't, okay. you know what? I wanted that part <laughs> so badly. So I brought like everything I had to it. And to this day, I still tear up, when I remember this. When I finished doing the song, the entire cast stopped and applauded. For me, that was like the, the mark of a great mentor because Joan knew she didn't embarrass me in front of everybody. She pulled me aside and told me that. You know, she didn't humiliate me in front of she she knew how to motivate me. She knew how to motivate me in a way that would get me where she needed me to be. And she'd given me plenty of time to try to get there on my own. But she also was not a a mean person. I mean, she was super strict. Like if we hooted and hollered when the curtain closed, she would, you know, read us the riot act. We were to act professional. We learned how to be thespians. and uh, But that's really where my love of theater started. And I still, to this day, I mean, I don't do as much theater as I used to because I work full time and I have writing deadlines to meet. But after about a seven-year break, right before the pandemic, I did a production of Mamma Mia that was just a delight from start to finish. It was the most wonderful cast I've ever worked with. And the theater was a great place They have a subscription base that's huge so our audiences were sold out they kept extending the run because we kept selling out and um and then I just actually finished a production of White Christmas that I did for the holidays but now I'll, I'll that was like two years between those shows so i got gonna take at least another two-year break before I get on stage
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it is great it is it's an it's it's you know sometimes I feel guilty because I should be writing I feel like oh I'm doing this fun thing and I should be writing um but you know you have to fill your creative well in other ways too and for me, that's always been theater. Absolutely. Yeah. You decide you
0: want takeout for dinner tonight. Where do you order from and what's your order?
2: This is tough. It's probably gonna be either Thai or or Indian. Ah, uh, primarily because um my my daughter, who's gonna be moving soon is is still uh back living with us after college, and she's vegan, so we like to do a lot of Thai and Indian because it's great for both my husband and I who aren't vegan and for her who is vegan um and for me, uh, I'm gonna say Thai and um The Thai restaurant near us has this dish they call pad wu sen, and it has those really thin rice noodles. I love the texture of those thin rice noodles. And it's just the thin rice noodles egg, and I don't even get it with meat. I get it with a bunch of just vegetables. And I love it. Nice, al dente, (sighs) crunchy vegetables. And those, I just love the texture of those thin rice noodles.
1: Oh my gosh, I love me some noodles. (laughs) 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 I will drive like we have a Filipino restaurant here that's literally it's it's got to easily be like 40 minutes from my house and I will drive over there pick us up food and bring it home just because they have ponset like really really like skinny noodles and they're Mm. just like that with just vegetables it's it's a dream like who would have (laughs) thought.
2: We're pretty adventurous eaters. We just went on a vacation. And I swear, like every night we did like a different kind of one night was Italian. One night was Greek. One night was like just a regular American bistro. uh, But it was like we tried all day. One night was Mexican. There's a a restaurant my daughter and I both love um, that's in New Haven near where we live that is vegan Caribbean. And it is phenomenal. Wow.
1: (laughs) Wow. Now I'm hungry.
2: I know. Yeah, I know. If I hadn't just eaten, uh, I just ate Chinese food with, uh, my husband mentors a robotics team, and I was over there this morning um, helping the kids with some of their written award submissions. I can't build a robot, but I know how to write, so I was helping them with that. And we had Chinese food for lunch over there. So if I hadn't just eaten chicken and broccoli, I'd be hungry too. (laughs) What is the first song on the soundtrack to your life? Okay. Now, I was discussing this with my daughter, too, and we had a difference in what this meant. She thought it was like the first song like to, 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 to symbolize the beginning of my life. And I didn't take it that way. I just took it for me like if I had a playlist of me, what would I want the first song to be? Yeah. And, and I think for me, I'm going to say um, Carly Simon's Let the River Run. I don't okay. know if you know. It, it's in the soundtrack of the movie Working Girl. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's the it's the it's the song they play right at the end where Melanie Griffith finally has her dream job. And she looks out the window over the, skysc- the 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 skyline of New York and the Staten Island Ferry. And she's just like, yes, I've made it. And it's this like super inspirational. It just always uplif- uplifts me. Um, and when I'm feeling crappy, if I want to feel better, I just play Let the River Run. So I'm going to go with that. Perfect. Nice.
0: Yeah. What is one of the best purchases you've treated yourself to recently?
2: I'm probably just going to say it, it probably was some planner stuff because it's the beginning of the year and I am a planner geek which several of my writer friends think is hysterical because for the longest time I was like, you know, I'd see them with their fancy schmancy Erin Condren planners and all this stuff. And I would be like, oh my God, I could never spend that much money on it. And I still don't. I'm like the cheapo of planners, but, um, but, um, I got my planners for 2022 and just set them all up and I got all my stickers and my, so that's like, that's, that definitely makes me happy. And I got, I got a little planner this year to do my marketing planning in which I, which I had really done before so um so it's probably my 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 new little planner which is so tiny and cute but but <laughs> oh,
1: I love it <laughs> I I bought a planner for this year. I I buy one every year and by February, I'm usually over it (laughs) and (laughs) it's like a waste of money. But this year I did something different in one of the interviews that we did. The author was like, you could write in it at the end of the day. And so that's what I've been doing. Like if I know I have an appointment, I'll, you know, put that on there or whatever. But I have really found it helpful to go at the end of the day and just say, you know, recorded with Sarah, folded laundry, made this for dinner. And it's like, oh, I did some things today. <laughs>
2: it's like a memory planner. I mean, yeah. my, I use—I have three different ones now. I have one. And I use the Happy Planner. I love the Happy Planner stuff because you can, um, I like a disk system because you can put pages in and out on like a spiral bound. And I have a punch and because I use, um, Sarah Cannon has that HB90 planning method for writers. So I have a regular daily planner that is like where I record like doctor's appointments and, and, you know, my family's stuff and, you know, general stuff and, and my day job related stuff, day job deadlines. And and then at the end of the week, I'll go back and I'll set up the next week. And as I do that, I'll often look back at the week that just happened. And like, if we went out to dinner with friends, I'll put that in there, even if it wasn't in there before. So that when I go back and look at the planner, it's like a memory thing, you know? Oh yeah. Remember that night we went to, so it's kind of like a, a mix of both. And then my writing planner, Um, I mean, I'll use it to like I wrote in my writing planner and in my regular planner that that we were recording this today. So I, so I wouldn't forget. Um, and I also use my writing planner. I I, I like Frankenplan plan because I have the regular pl- pages from the happy planner. And then I stick in some of the pages from Sarah Cannon's planner where, you know, like you think back to every week. OK, what worked good for my writing this week My for my writing goals? What didn't work? What can I improve on? What do I need to focus on? Um and it definitely helped me be more productive last year in terms of words written. I mean, I'm still not, you know, setting any houses on fire. I'm a slow, methodical writer. So, and that's never going to change. I'm never going to be like one of those writers who can churn out 10,000 words in a day. That's just mm-hmm. not how I write. And I have to accept that. But, you know, I can work with my parameters and still improve and be better. And you, that's where really using the planners has really helped me. And finally, why I why I finally turned to them. That, and there was the day where I literally almost missed a court date and I was like okay okay (laughs) now it's time to like get everything together in order in one place because you know I'm juggling so much between my day job which is pretty Mm -hmm. demanding and writing at home that you know it's it's easy to be focused on one thing and let something else fall through the cracks I -hmm. mean
1: when law is your day job I I think you should probably not miss a court date
2: (laughs) That's what I also started keeping, like a spare, you know, skirt, jacket, shirt in my office, just in yes, case. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just saying, though, that does sound like a pretty fun uh, meet cute setup for a rom com. Just saying. Right. <laughs>
2: no, it does, but I'm going to tell you something. I cannot tell you how many times I have pitched to publishers um, stuff with female lawyers in them, and my agent said to me, "Oh, yeah, they say nobody likes female lawyers," and I said to her, "Well, I wish someone had told me that before I went to law school." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she laughed because my agent was a lawyer as well, so. <laughs> There are a lot of lawyers and former lawyers in Romance-landia, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. There's so of... many of them. I yeah. mean, Lauren Dane wow. was, Julie Kenner, Jamie Beck. I mean, I could, uh, Jennifer Bernard. There's so many.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we love to hear romance origin stories. So can you share with us how you became a romance reader? Well,
2: my, I became a romance reader, I mean, pretty young. I remember reading like the Victoria Holtz. Like, I love those. And it's funny, because that's not, like, what I read at all now. But when I was young, I remember I worked at the library in my hometown. That was my very first job. I was a library page, you know, and you'd put away the books. And I was probably the worst page in the history of the library, because I used to like to hide in the bathroom for as long as I could without getting caught and read. um Yes, (laughs) so I was probably like the worst page the library ever had. But um, my father was principal of the high school in the town, and everybody like knew who he was. So I probably didn't get fired only because they didn't want to, you know, (laughs) deal with my dad. But. but uh, I loved reading them then, and my and my mom was like the original Harlequin junkie. Um, she used to get our library had those honor paperbacks, they called them, which is basically take them and we don't care if you ever return them, but if you return them, great. Um, and um, she used to get what I now know were the Harlequin Presents, you know, the white covers with the circle and the. Um, and she used to they'd be stacked by our door, um, like up to the waist. You know, she'd have like a stack of them, and she'd go through them, <laughs> and then she'd return and get more. And we used to sneak those. Um, uh, and, you know, and then I read all the, you know, the, the, like Judy Bloom forever. I remember sneaking that back and forth to school in my saxophone case. Cause I was afraid my mom would get mad if she knew I was reading it. I was probably in like sixth or seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I had been a romance reader for a long time, but then I had kind of fallen away from reading because especially, you know college and especially law school, you know, I was doing so much reading for school um, that like pleasure reading kind of for a long time, even after law school, you know, when I was starting a family and working full time, reading for pleasure kind of fell off the map for me. And then I gotten a nook and i don't know what possessed me to get this nook, uh, but I got a nook, and um I started trying to figure out how to legally um, get books for free. so I learned how to check books out of my library, and I also um which I still do to this day i'm like i 'm an audiobook a file, so like i'm I live on hoopla I have a forty minute drive to my office to and from every day, so mm-hmm for me, at least that's like, I love audio Cause for me, that gives me almost extra reading time. Cause I still don't have as much time to read as I'd like, but Hey, that's 80 minutes a day where I can be listening. Agreed. To um, but, um, I, um, so I got this nook and I learned how to check books out of the library. And then I also discovered that Harlequin had like a free book in every of their category series. You know, they always have one that is free cause they want to hook you on the series. Well, their marketing sure worked with me because I'll never forget the book I got. It was Leslie Kelly's Slow Hands. It was a Blaze book. And I read that book and I was like, wow, this is not my mother's Harlequin. <laughs> you know, the presents back in the 70s were a lot tamer. 70s and right? 80s were a lot tamer. Than the Blaze
0: Mama and was wasn't like, reading I'm... this. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm loving this. So like I devoured all of Leslie's backlist and then Tawny Weber and Sarah Mabry. I, I just like ripped Vicki Lewis Thompson and like I read oh, yeah. through those blaze books like you wouldn't believe and and then somehow I found myself on the Harlequin um uh boards they had like a, a chat board for aspiring authors and I found myself on there and I still have friends that I met through that chat board um that I'm still friendly with in fact my very first critique partner was Annabeth Albert who's now totally killing it in LGBTQ mm-hmm. romance um and we're still we're still friendly um but, and that, I just started, that's what started me thinking maybe I would like to try writing one.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, your your love of, like, Victoria Holt, you said it's very different than what you you know, you're writing today. What did you enjoy about those books? Cause I do feel like she's one of those names where I'm like, people find these books and go read them. <laughs> Especially if you love romantic suspense back then, they called it romance and suspense. I don't know when we yeah. decided to mash it together, but what did you enjoy about those?
2: I mean, I think I just enjoyed, you know, the, it was so, you know, as like a 13 year old in fairly sheltered middle America, it was like so different, you know, different time, different place. It was, everything was so dramatic and over the top and romantic. And maybe the reason I don't read them as much today is because I don't really read a lot of romantic suspense because my day job is all dark, you know, is all crime. And, you know, people will often say to me, why don't you write romantic suspense? You must have a lot of plot ideas from work. Yeah, I sure do. But um, (laughs) like when I go to write at night, it's, I want it to be my happy place. And I, I, I even my contemporary, like I'm I'm not huge angst. I mean, yeah, you need enough angst to get you know, a book out of it. it can't all be, you know, sunshine and rainbows. You need some conflict, but I'm not like deep angsty. Um, I'm definitely more towards the, the lighter rom-commy side. And and I think for, for me now, it's just, a you know, a function of what my day job is, you know, as a 13 year old, you know, I ate up all that angsty drama stuff because my life was pretty tame. So yeah, I was very yeah. really lucky. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that in my life as a 13 year old. I, grew up in a nice middle America town with a stay at home mom who had been a teacher, a twin brother and sister. And my dad, like I said, he was the principal of high school in the town I grew up in. So it was kind of my husband who grew up very differently used to call my family, the Brady Bunch. So so I think it filled, you know, a need for me there or not necessarily a need, but, you know, it was just different. And the reason I've probably gravitated away from it now is just because my life's very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So we read on your website that you won a writing contest at the age of 10 and knew you were destined to be a writer. At what point did you realize you wanted to pursue writing professionally?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. Do you ever really realize that? Or do you just start dabbling and then it happens? I mean, I I started writing, like I said, I got this nook and I started reading romance again. And I had read the Blaze books. And then the other book I read that really was kind of formative for me was Susan Elizabeth Phillips' It Had to Be You. Um, so, and I, that started me thinking, wow, you know, I'd I'd like to try writing something now as a lawyer, I'm an appellate lawyer. I specialize in appellate law. So, um, so I write all day, you know, I, I, that's my, my day job is very writing oriented. Um, so I've always gravitated toward things that involve the written word. And, um, I started to think "Mm, maybe I'd like to try to do this. And at the same time, my husband, now, mind you, this is about, see my daughter was 13. Yeah. It's like 11 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. My husband at this time was diagnosed with tonsil cancer. He's fine now. He's been in remission for a lot of years, but it did kind of really make me start thinking, you know, it made both of us start thinking, what are things that we want to be doing with our life that we're not pursuing, you know? So those two things together, both rediscovering my love for reading romance and his cancer diagnosis kind of made me think. Oh, maybe I'll try this. And like I said, at the time, I think they still do. I just haven't been on it in a long time. Harlequin had a a board uh, for aspiring authors, and every once in a while, they had these contests where like their authors would judge your stuff. I remember submitting to one with Tawny Weber, and and Harlequin also had a lot of contests. You know, they used to have so you think you can write, which I never entered because frankly, I I learned pretty early on that the blaze I was writing a blaze. I knew from the minute minute I started that I wanted to write a Blaze book. I'd read like 200 of them. Um, And the Blaze books tended not to do as well and so you think you can write. The books that tended to do better there were like the Presents and the Special Editions. The ones that weren't quite as... I, I I'm pretty racy, so... So, but they had a contest at one point that was geared just to the blaze line. And I entered that contest with the first chapter of a book that everybody told me would never sell because it was very theater themed. Again, I love theater. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, and so I entered this contest and it was right before they were going to announce the winners at uh, the RWA National Conference in Atlanta. I think this was 2013. I can't remember the year. It was the very first RWA conference I ever went to. I had stumbled upon the Connecticut chapter of RWA when I was, you know, trying to figure out as a writer how do, what do I do, where do I start. And I stumbled upon the Connecticut chapter of RWA, and I had um, joined there and and made some friends there. And that year we had a lot of people going to Atlanta from our chapter because Kristen Higgins, who was one of our chapter members and is now one of my good friends, um, was uh, the keynote speaker that year. And Atlanta's also not far to get to from Connecticut, so you know it's easy plane ride. So. So uh, the day before the conference is uh, supposed to start, I or two days before, something like that, I'm running around, going to DSW to buy find a pair of shoes to wear with my dress that I'm planning on wearing for Rita's. <laughs> and my phone rings with this number that I don't recognize. It doesn't even look like a US number. And it wasn't. It was a number from Canada. And it was Harlequin calling to tell me that I won the contest. Oh, wow. Yeah. And also calling to tell me that I couldn't tell anybody. So... <laughs> So well, here I am going to Atlanta with like literally twenty chapter mates. Okay. There were so many of them. <laughs> and I can't say a bloody word to them. Oh my that goodness. I won this contest. Um, and as when you won, so then they had a little, they were having like one of the first days down there, a little reception for blaze authors. And that's where they were announcing the winners of this contest. And what you got as the winner of the contest was you got to work with an editor for a month on your, on your, what you you'd submitted the first chapter in a synopsis and a synopsis of your book. I didn't even have the whole book written at this point. So that whole slow writer thing again, but, um, I'll never forget, like right before the reception of the day before the reception, I ran into Tawny Weber in like the the, you know, lobby or something. And she's like, hey, how are you doing? How's it going with that book that I read part of? Because I subbed it to her in one of the chapter, the one of the online contests as well how's the book going? And I'm like, oh no, it's going, yeah, it's going really great. And I'm like, inside, I can't tell her anything. And the next day we're at this reception and they announced me as the winner. And she's like, I can't believe you didn't say a word to me. And Kathleen Schiebling, who was the, um, the uh, executive editor for uh, uh, for Blaze, was like, we told her she couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> But that was how I, I so I started working with Dana Hopkins, um, who was one of the editors there who I adored. I she was the editor for my all four of my Blaze books. And um she told me afterwards, she said um she like me just happened to be a huge theater geek. And wow. she told me that they just randomly divvied up the submissions amongst the editors for who was going to, you know, judge what. And mine landed on her desk. Perfect. And um she just said um, you know, she she said she read it and she immediately ran into Kathleen and said I got a theater book I got a theater book and Kathleen was like nobody ever gets theater right and Dana was like this woman gets it this woman gets it and I tell that story because I think it's like you know they always say um you know what do they say luck is or it's like luck is when preparation meets opportunity you know that was just like sheer luck that I landed on on her desk yeah the stars aligned yeah
1: absolutely It could have ended up on the desk of somebody who totally did not get it, had no interest in theater. Like that just is so perfect. Yeah. So one of the things that we like to ask is we try to capture what did the world of romance publishing look like at the time that you were entering it?
2: Oh boy. So different. Um, I don't think the self pub stuff had really started to take hold yet. If it had, it was just like at, at the beginning of it really started to take off. Uh-huh. Um, I think there were more publishers. There's been at least one big merger since I, you know, uh, started writing. I mean, Harlequin isn't even hardly you another know, Harper Collins now. So, um, uh, I think, you know, I, I think there's been, it's been great that there's now a huge interest in all kinds of different books from, to represent all different kinds of marginalized communities. We were talking about this yesterday in a zoom chat I was having with some authors, cause someone was asking, do they think seasoned romance is picking up? And I said, yes, because I think think just like, you know, LGBTQ romance and and romance for persons of color and it it's like finally they want like representation of they want everybody to be able to see everyone in a romance novel whether you're older uh of color uh LGBTQ you know and 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 that's something i don't think there was any really any attention anyone was paying to when i when i first started writing and and i haven't really been writing that long so you know it's in 10 years i think there's been a, a big shift shift towards at least, you know, starting to be more aware of um, the kinds of characters we're putting in our books.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For anyone who has yet to read
2: a Harlequin Blaze novel, how would you describe the line to them? You know, it's funny because I think the line went through a lot of changes. Um, You know, I think when it, it, and, and you know because I mean there's even like Kimberly Ray has books in there with like cowboy vampires oh you know? yeah
0: yes. oh we, god those were so good we read those yeah,
2: I, know, <laughs> we awesome. read them. I mean what you know you've got that and then you've got my stuff which is just really you know and then you've got Tawny Weber with her military stuff in there and I think um, Karen Foley has some great military books in there I think you know so there's a range in tone um, some are a little more angsty some are lighter but I think what you're always going to get is you know explosive chemistry High heat, um, you know, and fully developed characters in a really quick, short package that you can devour in a day if you want. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. So, knowing that, so you shared with us that you were reading Blaze before you even really started the process of like trying to write for sure. So when you started, when you were writing, did you realize, like, I mean, Sarah Sarah calls Blaze a cult classic. Did you realize you were writing part of a series that's like really iconic? Did it feel like that for you?
2: I just knew that I loved those books and I thought I could write one like that. You know, yeah. I, I'm one of the fortunate people, you know, they say you're lucky if what you like to read is what you're good at writing. And I think I'm lucky because I think my, I think my voice suited Blaze just like I think it's to dare, I definitely have. Like people say to me, "Why don't you try writing a presents?" I don't think I have the right voice for voice presents. for yeah. desire.
1: Um, they're pretty different. They're they're yeah, different, exactly.
2: Yeah. And and you know, people always ask me too. what well, I want to write. What's the first thing I should do? And I say, read. I mean, I read literally. I still have them all on my Nook. I'm am more of a Kindle reader now, but I still have the Nook app on my phone. And when I want to go back, I, I there's I there's so many of those Blaze books. I'll go back and pull out and read. Like, oh my god, the 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 um. Sarah Mayberry ones with the soap opera. Oh yes. (laughs) Like I love those, that one heroine grace who wears like the fifties. Ah, see, I can still remember, you know, there's one that like are still my comfort (laughs) reads that I'll go back to, you know, or I loved when they did the shorter ones where they would put like three shorter ones that were sort of themed. Oh, like the
0: encounters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and I remember there was one where they all revolved around a candy shop where the candy shop people were like fixing people up, or they have the- it on a- my the- shelf. <laughs> yeah, that one is so good. There's like a baseball trilogy one. Then there's yep. like the wedding ones. <laughs> yep. yep. I want to go back and read them early. now. I gotta go by. No. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was such a cult classic. And honestly, I think I, I I loved writing for Blaze. I will never regret it. I think I was a little too late. I got in on like the tail end of Blaze. Yeah. Like, like the Blaze Heyday. Um, and 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 I'm I'm bummed that i I missed out on that. But I, I still love that whole that whole line. I, I still love those books. Yeah, great. But I loved writing. I loved writing for them. That whole process was I learned so much. My editor was great. I learned so much from her. And, and you know, I just they, they were also great because they really let me write what I wanted to write, too. Like, I remember someone once said to me, oh, I could never write category romance because, you know, they shoehorn you and you they put you in a box and you have to write. And I'm like, no they don't. I mean, anytime you write anything, there's reader expectations you have to be aware of. But I never felt like Harlequin like hamstrung me. And and on a, like my second book, for example, Triple Time, I had an idea in my head where I wanted to start a book with the hero proposing to the wrong woman <laughs> for the wrong reasons. And that's how that book starts. And when I, after I submitted it the first time, my editor said to me, you know, we're not so sure about him starting it with the proposal. Maybe... What about if he starts it like when he's in the park afterwards reflecting on it? And I was like, mm, no, not really so much what I envisioned. I really feel strongly that about I really I know it makes it a little tougher because now in the space of 50,000 words, we got to make him fall in love with somebody else. But um, but I really, I, I you know, he he knows deep inside that he's not proposing to her for the right reasons. So it's not like a love match. And and they were like, oh, all right, sure. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Well, we've had we've had two like prior booksellers on the podcast we've had uh author stacey Agden and we've had our friend steve donahue and they've both you know spent time selling books and they're like blaze was like one of the lines that they could not keep on the shelf so yeah. do you think it was that there was a little bit of everything in the line like what do you think it was about that series that booksellers were just constantly like running out of books I think
2: I think there was there was definitely something for everyone in Blaze. You know, whether you wanted a, a boy next door hero or a glamorous movie star, or a, you know, you could find it in there. And I think all of the books, even the ones that were a little more angsty, still had they weren't heavy, heavy. You know, nothing was. Super heavy. They had Um, a light feel to them. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And you could, you know, sometimes you want something that's really gonna tug at your heart. Like not your heartstrings, I think they all have that emotional resonance, but that really is gonna like give you that ugly cry or that you have to set aside before you can go back to. But you Mm -hmm. know, when you wanted something that you knew you were going to end up feeling good at the end, that you could whip through in a day if you wanted to whip through it that quick. That was, you know, that was blaze. You could do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Unlike, you know, not not that I don't love a good presents. I do. Uh But a lot of the, a lot of the scenarios were like, for me, I could envision myself in the more, you know, they weren't quite as I mean, you know, except for maybe the vampire cowboy one.
1: (laughs) I could totally see myself in that one. (laughs) We are still looking for Kimberly Ray. We just want yeah. to make sure that she is okay and tell her That's that we love there, that Kimberly. series.
0: You're right because, like the the Blaze hero, for example, is is you could see him as being the guy next door or the guy that you work with, whereas the Presents hero is this almost imaginary alpha. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They found yeah. felt more real. And the female
2: leads were like, she's my best friend. She's the girl I work with, you know? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, and that's what I loved, you know? And now, you know, and now that I'm starting to dabble in single title, you know, I want to have that same feel in my books, except now I get to have like a little bigger community. So now the girl next door gets to have all her buddies and the guy, you know, the guy gets to have his bros and you get more families and, We love you know, that. Yay. <laughs>
1: Okay, so tell us about your Art of Seduction series that was part of Blaze.
2: Yeah, I so I love theater, but I'm all, I'm just a huge supporter of the arts, so I had this idea that there are four siblings. So that's the primary tie between the books. Which which, you know, looking back, I, all the books have triple in the title. So I don't know why there's four of them, but they're just is. <laughs> Maybe it would have been better to three. Just I also thought fun. it was a great idea to have all the titles have triple in them. And then like when I would be writing one and editing another one, it got so bloody confusing. <laughs> <laughs> like Triple, wait, which one? Um, But um, so the, the primary tie to the, to the books is the siblings. It's a uh, one brother and three sisters. And, but they all in each of the books, someone's got a profession that's somehow tied to the arts. So in the first book is my love letter to theater and that's Holly is a playwright and Nick is a, famous actor who is very much modeled after Joe Manganiello, um, who um, who I actually met when writing the book. Um, uh, he uh, was in a local production of uh, The Streetcar Named Desire at the Rail- Yale Repertory Theater. Okay. And I arranged for a group of 30 people from my RWA chapter to go to see him. And one of the people who was going was Kristen Higgins. She tweeted to her people that we were going to the show and that they should all tweet at Joe yellow and let him know we were going to be there. <laughs> so, we get we all are waiting at the stage door for autographs for Joe, and he comes out, and the first words out of his mouth were, "Where are the romance writers?" Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it was totally awesome, and he was the nicest guy. I swear, he stayed and talked and took pictures like as long as anybody wanted him there. He was so he even talked to my daughter at the time was applying to college, uh, just starting to look at applying to college theater programs, and he's a graduate of Carnegie Mellon's dr- drama program, which is extremely um, renowned, and he talk to her about about college drama programs he was he was absolutely lovely absolutely lovely and just as call cool and just as good looking as you know uh, as he is in movies but that's who i i modeled nick after a a uh stage you know an action film actor trying to get back to his stage roots um, and then in the second book is, um, um, that's the only book where I've gotten to write a lawyer, but the guy is the lawyer. Gabe is a prosecutor like me. And um, he's the brother. He's the one of the Nelson siblings that's a boy. And the heroine is Holly's best friend, Devin, who is a tattoo artist and aspiring painter. And I love the beginning of that book because Devin is like probably my most badass heroine I've ever written. And the book starts with when he, when he finally is really wandering in Central Park, mulling over his failed uh, proposal, um, he comes across Devon, who he thinks is in need of assistance, but is actually doing just fine on her own, um, beating the crap out of a guy who tried to make a move on her. So- <laughs> As you did, um, And then the third book <laughs> in the series is um, my, probably my favorite cover of the series. It's the firefighter cover, which I think they did such a great job on. I love the good <laughs> firefighter romance. And in that one, it's um, uh, Ivy is the heroine. She's a sister. Ivy and Gabe are twins. And um, so she's Gabe's twin sister. And it's a, uh, one of my favorite tropes is brother's best friend. And that's that's nice. brother's best friend. The firefighter Cade is Gabe's best friend. And um that book is funny because that the beginning of that book started as a short that I submitted for a, one of the Delilah Devlin anthologies that got rejected. And I, I loved the beginning line of that so much. The beginning line of that book is, Kate Alexander Hardesty, get your half-naked ass out here before I have to go back there and strip you myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, she's a photographer, and she's taking pictures for the firefighter calendar. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> oh, we love those! Yeah, right. No, I just,
2: I love. I had written it for a Delilah Devlin uh, anthology, didn't get accepted, and I pulled it back out and repurposed it, and um, and it became the beginning of that book. That book also has my uh, one of my favorite stories, uh, um, uh, the fighting for F's story. Um, so that was when Blaze decided that I couldn't use the F word as much as I wanted to use the. F word. <laughs> And so they told me I needed to cut down my swearing and, um, when I got my edits. And one of the swear Fs that they wanted me to cut was the scene where um, Gabe finally finds out that Cade is messing around with his sister and confronts him. Um, he says to him, friends don't F family was the original line. And they wanted me to change it to friends don't screw family. And I was like, look, I'll change some of the other ones, but this is a literary device. It's, <laughs> it's a literary device. It doesn't, they said they, want, they were okay with me using F as like an exclamation, but they didn't want me... Using using it as a verb, like for the act of... (laughs) So, so I said, come on, guys, this is alliteration. It's a literary device. And they were like, okay, we'll give you that one. So it's just one of so my,
1: much more impactful with that exactly,
2: word. Exactly, exactly. And so one of my, I was president of my RWA chapter for a couple of years, a few years back. And one of my chapter mates loved that story so much. She called it the fighting for Fs story. That <laughs> when I when I left, she does wonderful, she, she, she uh, restores old furniture. And she also does that like book art you know when you take a book and like you fold it and you open it and it makes like a picture or a She took an old law book, an old Amger, American Journal of Law, and when you open it up now, it's sitting in my office, but it's so subtle that you have to really look at it. So nobody really knows what this book in my office says. When you open it up, it says spells the F word. <laughs> Yeah, and it. she gave that to me as like a you know thank you for being president of the chapter. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that is awesome.
2: It was perfect. I love it.
0: <laughs> so you did mention that you wrote for the Dareline, uh, "Dirty Work" and "Dirty Secrets." How did writing for the Dareline come to be?
2: Well, when they first. So I have four books in the Blaze series. My fourth is a baseball. Um, they are they both meet in injury rehab. And that one was fun to write, too. Although having them have to stay in injury rehab the whole time was a little tough. I was like, who thought this was a good idea? I got to get them out of this rehab center. Um, but um, after I, I had initially planned on writing two more books if you, in that last book, Triple Score, the hero has two buddies. They're like the I don't know if you've ever seen the old um, again, musicals. Uh, there's an old musical mo- movie musical with Gene Kelly and and um, Frank. Sinatra called take me out to the ball game and and them and Jules Munchen play like the triple play th- uh, team O'Brien to Ryan to Goldberg that's the triple play combo and these guys were like the triple play combo and I was going to write books for the other two guys that was what was going to come next but when they called to tell me that the Blaze line was closing, they didn't want sports books for Dare because they wanted to market it more internationally. And sports don't do as well internationally, especially baseball, because that's really uniquely American. Okay. So they were like, we'd like more books from you, but not those books. And I was like, okay, i had started to write the first one, but I wasn't too far into it. But initially they had wanted Dare and what they t- told me they wa- they wanted were like more like dark, angsty, you know, I don't want to say mafia necessarily, but that kind kind of a of the a, biker, a that
0: kind of a scenario.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and I wasn't interested in writing that. So initially, I did not submit to them. I I, I submitted uh, and ended up writing the two books that I wrote, the first two books that I wrote for Entangled, A Billionaire in Her Bed and um, A Nanny for the Reclusive Billionaire. And But then as the line came out, I noticed it wasn't, not everything was that dark. And um, Patience Bloom had been um, at our conference and I was at a conference with her and I started chatting with her. My editor was no longer with Harlequin. And I started chatting with Patience and she was like, yeah, you know it doesn't have to be that dark submit something to me. And initially I had this idea of at the time I was working out with these two personal trainers, Jake and Connor. um, (laughs) And I had this idea of a high end gym in New York city, you know, the, the gyms that cater to the rich and famous. And that's what initially I submitted it as they liked it, but they didn't like the gym aspect of it. So we changed it to be the nightclub and that's how dirty work and dirty secrets came out. Nice. Um, and for me, the best thing about those books, the most fun thing was, uh, Dirty dirty Work, I'll admit, was the most fun I ever had writing a book. I just decided to throw every cray-cray thing I felt like throwing into the book in <laughs> that book. And I figured, eh, they'll dial me back if they don't like it. And they kept everything. I mean, there's like a penis-themed bachelorette party. There's dirndl-wearing drag queens. You know, there's a cock-blocking Irish wolfhound. There's crabble. I mean... Just everything. And they kept it all. And I and I also I wanted to try writing in first person. I, I read both first and third person. And I know some readers hate first person, some people love it, but I, I thought when it's done right I love it and I thought my voice would lend itself to it and I so I wrote I wrote both of those books in first person present and I really love writing in first person so although everything I'm in writing now is in third person someday I will get back to it
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just love that you said they they kept it all
2: Like... i th- I was sure I was sure they were going to dial me back. Yeah. And and no, I was like, oh, yay, goody. And it, it was just it was I mean, and I loved writing dirty secrets, too. But dirty work was the fastest book I ever wrote. That yeah. book flowed out of me more than anything else.
1: I I came to Dare at the like kind of tail end of it, but I have been going back and reading some of the earlier ones and it was a little bit darker romance, a lot of like workplace settings. And then I think as the line progressed, it definitely changed. And I think just the, the accumulation of different authors and writing styles, but how would you describe the line to someone who hasn't read it?
2: That's tough. I mean I mean, I think it had a lot of similarities to Blaze, but with an even more like modern and maybe a little bit younger feel. Not okay. NA by any means, but you know what I mean? Um, I think I know for my books, personally, my tone in them is a little bit more modern and, hit, and maybe that's just a result of writing in first person Let you be a little freer, I think, at least for me. But I think, you know, it's hard because that line really did start, I think, as one thing and then really morph into something else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, for me, at least, you know, I think initially they were thinking Fifty Shades like. Agreed. And and I think that and that and I think it, it definitely moved away from that at, at some point into, you know, where I was able to write something that really is a high heat rom-com. I mean, Dirty Work, especially in Dirty Secrets, to a little bit of a lesser extent are really high heat rom-coms, yeah. high heat city setting. Like the best compliment I ever got from for Dirty Work was when one reviewer on Goodreads said my New York reminded her of Lauren Lane's New York. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes.
1: <But> Lauren <laughs> Lane can write New York. Yes, oh, I know,
2: I, and I adore Lauren. She actually designed my website. She and her husband designed websites. Oh so no.
1: Um, And she's a lovely
2: person who I absolutely adore. Um, But um, yeah, for me that because like I love her whole that Oxford Stiletto series. That was the feel I wanted. Those Mm -hmm. books are my crack. I love those books. And um, that was the feel I wanted. And for someone to tell me that I'd succeeded, you know, and to me, that's I think what at least the dare when I was writing it was more, you know, like kind of hip urban settings yeah you know young hip or you know t- or 20 somethings you know maybe early 30s all my oh, i've always written in that age range anyway my my except for a showstopper which is really an na book they're in college um all my other books primarily they're in their late 20s early 30s mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. so i guess my question is my next question it blaze like, so blaze had way more books Dare, obviously. Dare did not unfortunately last that long, but I mean, Sarah and I are just huge fans of Blaze. I'm a huge fan of Dare, and we just kind of talk offline a lot about why those lines didn't last, Mm -hmm. and I feel like we we do know in some of the lines they are allowing authors to sex it up a little bit more if that's what they Mm want to do, but I still feel like you think of Blaze, you think of Dare, there's still that presence that's just not there at all. Whether you know, even if you if you want to include the steamier, that's fine. But like princes, presents presents as presents, romance is still romance. Like readers are still going to those lines for a specific thing that I don't think is the same thing as a blaze or a dare. So why? I mean, just as you know, just general Gwiz theories here. What is it about those lines that they didn't make it?
2: You know, I wish I knew because, like you said, for a time, blaze was like the shizzle, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how it tailed off or why I don't think Harlequin has quite yet mastered the digital marketing the marketing of the digital stuff. I mean, I know mm-hmm. when I look at my, you know, I just got a royalty statement recently and even when I look back at my older books, the the print always sold more than the than the e. Okay. You know, so I don't think they've quite mastered the e selling yet and I think things changed when, you know, bookstores stopped giving us as much shelf space mm-hmm. and I think that definitely hurt Blaze. I mean, I know, I remember when my first Blaze book came out, I went to the bookstore and there was at least one whole shelving unit like you know four or five shelves of all harlequins right so not a ton but at least you know five shelves in the romance section one whole unit top to bottom when my last blaze book came out there were two shelves that was it
1: that is not Mm -hmm. enough
2: No. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, especially when you're counting on your print being the, you know, your print and your subscription being the bulk of your service, you know, that's that's really going to hurt you. And a lot of the and then a lot of the uh Walmarts and Targets wouldn't some of them wouldn't carry the Blaze books cuz they were too steamy. Mm-hmm. They would only carry the other lines and I think that started to to hurt them. Um but I I don't know that Harlequin's mastered marketing something as high heat. You know, when something is high heat in the desire, that's fine because but they're not marketing it as high heat they're marketing it as desire which is a whole different package you know Mm -hmm. right yeah um I don't know I mean I, I know for me personally I I loved writing category romance people think it's easier it's not I think it's harder because you're trying to meet all those reader expectations and also have enough of an emotional journey an arc that's believable in less pages um but I don't know that there's A a place for me, at least not right now in Harlequin category romance, because I I just don't think my voice fits any of the lines. Yeah,
1: you said earlier, like you you know your voice. And Mm -hmm. I mean, Sarah and I talk about this all the time. Like everything that comes out Mm -hmm. now is very specific. Presents is presents, medical is medical, heartwarming is heartwarming. If you know your voice Mm -hmm. doesn't fit in one of those, it's kind of like, well, that's not really an option for me, you know?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and even if you could say, Well, I'll try to tweak my voice to this, if there's one thing I've learned over the past couple of years. It's that I am happiest and best as a writer if I am writing what I love to write. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I'm trying to shoehorn, you know, a square peg into a round hole just so that I can have a contract, you know, I might have a contract, but I'm not going to be happy. And when I'm not happy, the words don't flow as well and and the the books won't be as good. And I don't want to put out books that that I don't, you know, that I don't like.
1: Yeah. I I mean, if you you have to spend all that time writing them, you should at least like them.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right? exactly. You know, I don't want to get to the end and be like, "Phew, that was murder. Thank God so, I'm well done with that. Then you got to see it again and edit, and you're like, oh, damn it, this thing again. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, this year's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start, but I'm, but I'm happy with everything I'm writing. You know, I'm happy with everything I've written so far. I don't want to intimate that anything I wrote, I was unhappy. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if there's anything I've learned, you know, in, in you know, learning what what to say no to and, and what opportunities, you know, when they closed air, they said to me, well, you know, submit for desire. And I looked at some of the desires and I just thought I love them. I mean, there's some authors that write for desire and that write for special edition that I adore. I'm in a mastermind group with three of the special edition ladies and I love them and I love their books. You know, Naima Simone is one of my best friends. She works, writes for, um, you know, she writes for... Um, for desire, but it's just not, you know, so does Robin Covington, but it's not It's not my voice. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to try to be something I'm not just for the sake of saying I have a contract with Harlequin.
0: I don't think it's the voice of the Dare books either. You know, like I'm just listening to you talk about it. I, like Bree knows this, I was never a fan of Dare at the beginning. I didn't, that's not my jam. I didn't care for Fifty Shades of Grey. I didn't like that dark romance. That's what I felt Dare was. But then last year I read Hookup by Ann Marsh and it was one of my five star reads last year. It was amazing. You could never. Put that book in the desire line. Never. It just yeah. wouldn't work with the line. So it's not easy to sit, su- but hopefully, like the desire authors and stuff or the dare authors pardon me can find another home (laughs) for their work because their books are amazing (laughs) and I think you know know, a
2: lot of us have and will and um you know I'd love to get to the point where I'm you know I'm I'm still writing some category books I have two category books left to write for um entangled in my contract with them so I'm writing category for them and then I'm dabbling with what I lovingly refer to as my super secret single title project (laughs) Um, (laughs) that I'm absolutely in love with but can't tell anybody about um, but, um you know i i i have, i'm lucky that i have an agent who's very collaborative and she is great with brainstorming like ideas and you know i ran a whole mess of of single title series ideas by her you know and, and we have this kind of jokey buzzword between us like i'm looking for my bromance book club you know i want that idea that yeah. is like so unique and fun and high concept and we went through a bunch and we settled on two one i call like soft high concept because it's not it's still what they consider high concept and then the other is what I consider, yeah, this is high concept. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one that I said, which one do you want me to work on first? She said, up to you. So I picked the high, high concept and, uh, and I'm in love with writing it and uh, we'll see if it goes anywhere. You know, it's kind of nerve wracking to be putting a lot of effort into something that you don't, you know, but no risks, no reward. Right.
1: Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I love that you said that. Cause I'm always like, how do romance authors come up with these like really original things like you think of the bromance book club it's like why didn't i think of that exactly i'm a- <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. No. <laughs> Literally it's just guys reading romance. Why didn't yeah. I think of that?
2: <laughs> yeah. A million times people have said, if only my husband read romance, I, well, yeah, well, why didn't I put that into
1: put a, in a book? Put it in a book.
2: Yes. This one I have to admit, I initially did not come up with the initial idea. One of, I have a plotting group. There's six of us that that um that we get together like three or four times a year and we help each other plot books. Um I don't have crit partners so much anymore because mostly I don't write fast enough, you know, and when I'm under contract my agent says, you're under contract already. Just give it to your editor. I don't need to see it before, but when I'm writing stuff that she's going to be putting out on submission, she will then read it and crit it and we'll go back and forth. And she's great that way. But, um, but my plot group is great because like I always say, my brain is like a river, right? It tends to go in the same path, but your plotting partners can help you break out of that. What if this, what if that, you know, so that you're, that you're, they're helping you think outside the box, you know, um, when you're coming up with plots, one of my plotting partners who actually writes more cozy mystery than romance, had this idea. And she said, I think this is great, um, but I can't write this this is you. This idea is you. It needs a light rom commy voice, and I'm like, really? I can have it. She's like, yes. So she, between her, my, me, and my agent, we're the three that sort of collaborated and and like fully fleshed out the idea to make it, you know, workable. Which took which took a bit. It took a lot of going back and forth on different blurbs and stuff. And now I'm at the point where I'm actually writing chapters on the book. So, oh,
0: well, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. You know, but it's, <laughs> you know what? I'm having fun writing that. I'm having fun. Writing the books I've I'm left writing for um Entangled. That's the they're Mediterranean millionaires. There are three guys who met at Oxford. One is uh Italian, one is Spanish, and one is Greek. So the Italian book is out already. That's how not to mess with a millionaire. Again, I did this thing with alliterative titles and I keep mixing them up. So how not to mess is <laughs> out already. I, and I'm writing the second book's gonna be How Not to Marry a Millionaire, and the third is How Not to Misjudge a Millionaire. So
1: oh, I love it. So we got <laughs> my To mess with a millionaire, that was June. Can you when do you know when the next one's scheduled to come out? Or
2: no, because I need to finish writing. Okay, got it, got it,
1: (laughs) got it. We're on the same page. Go ahead, Sarah. (laughs) Because we been we've been checking your website, like okay, yeah. when is the next one coming I out?
2: You, would you help <laughs> if I finished writing the book? I'm a little behind. I okay. Admit it.
0: Um, so, so in other words, we need to finish this interview quickly so you can get back to us. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I'm doing, it's funny because I'm working on, I'm writing that book and the second book at the same time now. And then every day oh I let gosh. myself write just a hundred words in the super secret single title project. Okay. That's my uh-huh. reward for when I get word count. I love that. Time.
1: Yeah. me too. So,
2: And I found over the years that I actually do better when I'm working on more than one project at once. And I mean like drafting more than one project at once because I'm a very linear writer. And if I get stuck at a part, I will literally sit there staring at a cursor on my screen and it's not pretty. You know, what did you do for, the last three hours looked at the cursor and fucked up you know? <laughs> but, uh, but um so this way if I'm stuck on one I can jump to the other one and I find that it loosens me up you know sometimes yes I have to remember okay which book am I in now wait this hero's not this is Xander this isn't Miguel this is, you know so you do have to sometimes you know and and when I was writing for example when I was writing how not to mess with a millionaire and showstopper at the same time um I really had to shift gears because how not to mess is a, you know, it's an adult rom-com third person past how showstopper is a new adult college age, first person present. So, okay. you know, but in a way it was nice having them so different. Cause I was definitely in different headspace when I'm writing each book, but, uh-huh. and showstopper was a, a joy. That was another book that was, I really was a joy to write from start to finish. And um, I'm hoping to be able to write some more. Uh, that's a male, male romance. I've written two of them okay. so far. And, uh, I'm hoping to be able to write some more uh, LGBTQ romance as well. So
0: if someone was completely new to your bibliography and you could only recommend one book as a starting
2: point, what title would you recommend they start with? Well, if they're if they're not opposed to reading first person dirty work, because I think it's the best representative of my voice. And it's also like and if and if and if you're not a third person reader, if you're not a first person reader, I'd say go to go to Triple Threat. And and read through that series. I love that series. Although if I was going to pick one in the series and just had him have him read one, it'd be Triple Dare with the firefighter. But <laughs> <on. laughs> I admit it. I have a super soft spot for that book. Um, um, I think both Triple Dare and Dirty Work are really both representative of what I like to write as an author. And my I think my author voice comes out really strongly in both of those two books.
1: Okay. So can you tell us about your writing process? Because we know you have a, a day job. So how are you- you making time for writing as well
2: um i like to do a lot of what i call sneak writing like i I always take my laptop with me to the office and like i'll write at lunchtime um sometimes even if i get into the office early i'll sit down and let myself write 100 words on something before i even start um my day job um i i tend to write a lot at night um but i also don't like you know for me a good day what i shoot for on a good day is five to six hundred words um I can't, you know, I'm never going to be one of those, I wrote 500,000 words this year, authors. I just, not while I'm working full time. And I've got about like four more years of working full time. I'm a government employee, so I'm waiting for my pension. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I worked this many years in the system. If I retire now, I give up a lot. So, um, um, and, you know, and until that happens, I just need to accept, and this took me a while. I think one of your questions at some point was something about what's the hardest lesson or the hardest thing you've learned. And I think the hardest thing I've learned as an author was that I have to stop comparing myself to other people and accept that my journey is my journey and it's not going to be somebody else's journey and that it's okay if it's not as fast. And, um, you know, my life isn't the same as somebody else's life. And, and I just have to do the best that I can do within the, within the constraints of, of my life. I mean, worked full time and in my first book came out and I think it was 2015. So what are we in now? 22. So 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, eight years I've released uh, 13 books, I think. So, you know, that's not like, getting the world on fire, but it's, it's something. And I'm, and I'm now, like I said, with the planning, I can kind of see where my process works and where it doesn't work. And, uh, um, um, and try to improve every year. You know, I think last year I wrote almost 150,000 words. The year before I had not even written 100,000 words. So, okay, you know, that's better, right? As long as we're moving in the right direction. Um, and uh, and you also forget, too, that, you know, we tend as authors to word count, we think is the be all end all, right? But there's so much else that goes into this. And, you know, I'm not at the point where I can have a PA, you know, so my social media is me, you know, my graphics are me, my, you know, even my website was designed, but like I do all my updates now. Um, You know, the things I had to learn to be an author that I never thought I'd have to learn. Uh, Aside from how to write a book, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, is is pretty. You know, I I had a book bub uh, recently, which was great. Um, but you know, then I did a lot of work promoing around the book bub. You know, and that's it's all time consuming. So you know, for my process, I try to. You know, I'm trying to do it. I try trying to use time blocks now. So I'm like, okay, this 30 minutes, I'm going to sprint. And if I can get a hundred words in 30 minutes, then, you know, then I'm golden, you know, and then I can do other stuff and then come back to it for another 30 minutes. And then if I've done that five or six times in a day, I've got a word count that I'm happy with, um, you know, and 600 words a day will get me to 200,000 words this year. So, yep, absolutely. And, and get, and get what I need to get done, you know, to, to, to get books out.
0: So let's get into some roundout questions. Okay. What is one film you will never stop watching?
2: All the President's Men. I think I've watched it more than any other movie. I was a journalism major in college, and I actually had a picture, a still from the scene where Redford and um, Dustin Hoffman are hovered over the typewriter, typing to each other because they think their apartment is bugged um, (laughs) over my desk when I was in college. Being a journalism major, for me, even more than being an English major, taught me the value of words. And, you know, that, that, you know, every word, when you're a journalism major and you're writing for column inches, you know, this was back in the days when newspapers were still king before the internet, when I was in college, you know, when column inch is king, man, every word better mean something. (laughs) And, yeah, and I yeah. think that's definitely helped me both in my legal writing and in my romance writing. And I'm very picky about the words I choose, which is why I'm a slow writer. But
1: what is one book you wish you could experience reading again for the first time? Oh, boy.
2: um, One book I wish I could. I'm going to say I'm going to say this book because right now I'm obsessed with this book. And the, um, the there's a second book coming out soon. And it's it's heated rivalry in rachel reed's game changers series which is for karina press um i'm a huge hockey romance nut and i'm also i read a lot of of uh of lgbtq romance that book is the best enemies to lovers i have ever read in my life it is fabulous they're they're two from two rival hockey teams and they carry on a secret relationship for years and um I I just, I'd actually listened to the book first and I actually just read it, you know, for the first time. Um, And um, I realized that, I didn't realize this. She sort of, not really, but got the idea for the book when she watched a documentary on Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin, and they're like long-standing, sort of friendly but not rivalry. And I'm a, I'm a huge, we're Pittsburgh Penguins fans in this house. My daughter went to college in Pittsburgh, so um, and now having read that, I can totally see it because one hero is Canadian and the other one is Russian, and Ilya, the Russian hero is a freaking riot. Um and I just that's the best enemies to lovers book I've ever read and I, that's the book I wish I could read again. I wish I, c- I could experience Shane and Ilya again for the very first time. Nice.
0: Do you have any under the bed stories? Something you've written that will never see the light of
2: day? I don't know. I mean, I have stuff I've written that I haven't chosen not to finish for various reasons. Ironically not my first book. My very first book I wrote became Triple Threat. So, you know, I'm one of the super lucky people who, you know, got a contract on the first thing I wrote. Um, But I've written stuff since then that, you know, I have one book I got 40,000 words into and stopped. I have another one that I really like the concept of that I'm about 20,000 words into and stopped because while it's, a good concept it's not as high concept and sellable as the super secret single title i'm working on and now you know if you're trying to get a trad pub single title contract it is It's a tough world, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a tight market, so you got to really stand out. So while I like that concept, and you know, who knows? In a perfect world, if super secret single title sells and does well, and then it's easier for me to sell other ideas, that's one that may get resurrected. Yeah. Um. You know. But right now, you got to try to figure out what's going to make your mark, if that's what you're aiming for. And and I'm not ruling out, you know, self-pubbing stuff too. I think self-pub is great. Um. But while I'm working full time, it's difficult for me to put in the time. I would need to really self-pub successfully. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to do it if I'm going to, if I'm going to, you know, half-ass it, you know, yeah, I won't. Exactly. You know? If, if, if you're going to do it, I think it deserves doing right um, and, and putting all your effort into it. And I, and I just know I'll put it out there and it'll just sit because I won't have the, the resources or the time to do what I need to with it.
1: Yeah. It seems like now would be, It's so tricky because like you said, you have to have something that is going to super stand out unless you're already a big name who I feel like has like this, you know, like if you're a Carolyn Brown, you this Carolyn Brown can write whatever, you know, like Nora Roberts is going to write whatever. But I feel like if you're especially like for us as aspiring writers, like I think that's part of where I struggle. It's just like, well, I know what I like to read and I know that I'm writing the things that I like to read, but that is nothing special like you know that you see stuff like the bromance Mm -hmm. book club and you're like Mm -hmm. why didn't I think about that you know like those super specific special ideas but then like you said if you have a full-time job if you have a day job you like I have learned so much from just doing this podcast we have a really good friend who's in the process of self-publishing her first novel and like the amount of work and money that goes into it I'm just like if you don't have the time for it you can't do that either you know because you have yeah. to have the, the time and the resources to do it.
2: Yeah. And there are some amazing self-pubbers and some amazing self-pub books. I mean, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not trying to get a trad pub contract because I think that's the only way to go or that's the best way to go. It's just for me right now, that's,
1: that's the you know, be- yeah for the my mo- life. Yeah. Again, this
2: is like the don't compare your journey. But, you know, one of the most amazing things about writing Showstopper for me was learning from Serena Bowen, who legit is like... One of the best writers, but also one of the smartest business people I have ever met in my life. Yeah. Like, she's the total package, man. And- um, you know, and she was very open with us as authors in her world about why she was making certain decisions. Why are some books in KU and some books aren't? Why are we going to promo this this way? Who am I going to try to get a book buff for? What are we going to do? You know, she was very open about everything, about her whole thought process. And it was, it's fascinating. It That, that experience writing in her world was just fabulous. Yeah. I, I, like top to bottom, fabulous.
1: Absolutely. What is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on?
2: Okay. This might seem really obscure and strange, Stupid, but it was the very first thing I thought of when I read this question, which is the song My Favorite Things is not a freaking Christmas song. <laughs>
1: thank because you it's not stupid okay? it's not it's
2: because it mentions packages and wrapped up they're not even wrapped up in wrapping paper it's brown paper and string and string that's yeah what you want under your christmas tree
1: oh my gosh
2: it's not a freaking christmas song people stop playing it in stores stop playing it at tar oh, that's so funny
1: i love sarah when we get like really specific but like right? as we have gotten to know the author you're like of course you would say something like this because yeah. i feel like you we, we get a lot of the you know hills that we're absolutely there with you on like oh romance matters and blah blah, blah. but yeah, like yeah, to yeah. get those really specific ones like yes
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> like- i know i'm mean,
1: like I done Hard, done it's old, a christmas
0: you know, movie you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> i
2: could have done the old romance dj and hea or whatever but honestly yeah. when i read that question that was the very first yeah <laughs> And it is very on brand for me. So, what the heck? (laughs) Fair enough. So,
0: other than reading and theater, what was one of your teen girl obsessions?
2: My teen girl obsessions? Oh, I'm trying to remember. I remember teen. When I was younger, I was obsessed with those briar horses. All right. I was really into them, but probably gone by teens. What else?
0: any celebrity
2: well I was a huge David Cassidy fan I had like a life-size <laughs> poster of him on my closet door we nice. loved it. David and Sean I mean we used to watch the Hardy Boys so we were definitely like into that <laughs> sort of end of the of the teen scene you know that that those were definitely my I mean David Cassidy was definitely my I mean my first crush was actually the cartoon fox in, in the uh, in Robin, Robin, Robin Hood, Hood. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> my family, to this day, I have a whole collection of foxes because of that fox. I mean, I think yep. I have every Squishmallow fox ever made. Yep. I have a yep. papasan chair in my office that all the Squishmallows live in. And when people <laughs> get stressed at my office, they come in and sit in the papasan chair and squish the Squishmallow. But I mean, like, I have all these stuffed foxes in my office, and it all stems from the Disney fox. But yes. after the Disney fox, my first human crush was definitely David Cassidy. Boy, did I love him! Oh my gosh.
1: Okay ebook, physical book, or audiobook. What's your preferred reading method?
2: Well, this is really a tie because like I said, I love audiobooks. And because I drive so much in the car, um, you know, I I listen to a lot of audiobooks and um, you know, and I have certain narrators that I adore. And, you know, I I have I use I use a lot now I use if your library has hoopla or overdrive, there are so many audiobooks, especially on hoopla. Um it's unbelievable. It's great. And um I actually just found out that the two narrators for my for Showstopper are gonna be Iggy Toma and Cooper North. And I'm ecstatic because like like I fangirl over the narrators, and Iggy and Cooper are two of my favorites, and they're pretty huge in male male romance. And I'm like, yes! Because you know when you get a good narrator that the narrator will bring people to the book.
1: You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a
2: huge audio, but I also read a lot in E. I, I don't, I'll, I'll admit it, I don't read a lot of physical books anymore. Um, mostly because I don't have space um, in my house. I, I live we're super lucky we live in this really cute beach community on Long Island Sound. My husband grew up on the water, so he was determined we were going to live on the water. But, you know, we're also not millionaires, so our house is like 1,400 <laughs> square feet and it's pretty tiny. We don't have a lot of space for books. I actually keep like all my books, like my personal books, like for shipping and stuff in my office under my desk in like boxes, boxes <laughs> under my corner desk because I don't have room at home. When I retire, I don't know what I'm going to do. Probably have to rent a storage unit or something, but, um <laughs> but um yeah. No, I read a lot of, you know, I try to read at night for like at least half an hour before I go to bed. Um, It's hard because I read on my phone. I don't have a Kindle. I just use the Kindle app on my phone. So I installed downtime. So that um, I, I don't I'll, all my apps, except for my reading apps, my phone and my my messaging in case, you know, there's an emergency from somebody um, turn off at 10 p.m. So if I want to use them after 10 p.m., I have to override it. But um, um, but uh, um, so, yeah, I try to read for like a half hour every night before I go to bed. OK,
1: well, we have to come together and get author Regina Kyle listeners. We have to get her a paper white because. Yes, <laughs> it is I'm so easy. <laughs>
2: I don't mind reading on my phone. I have a big enough screen, and it's you know what's nice is the light from it is small, and yeah. and um, my my daughter is actually the one who got hooked me hooked reading on my phone. Um, um, and you know this way when my husband is sleeping next to me, I can dim the light, and it's not quite so yeah. disturbing. He's an early to bed guy, and I'm like a later to bed gal, so. Um. <laughs> You know, so it's uh you know, so I try not to wake him, but I kinda need that like half hour just to transition from Uh the day to night. Yes.
0: So you talked about the advice of not comparing yourself to others. But is there a tough piece of advice you've received from someone else? A tough
2: piece of advice. I don't know if this is a tough piece of advice, but I'm gonna tell the story because I think it has a good moral. And I will not mention the editor's name. So in, in my writer circles here in Connecticut, the story became legendary. They were like, Will you please stop talking about the three? This is the story it's I'm gonna call it X, author X, excuse me, editor X and the three. Okay. So when I was first starting to write uh, before the blaze contest, I'd entered a bunch of local RWA chapter contests. And um, with the first chapter of what eventually became triple threat. And um, in one of the contests, I made it to the finals and you got a, a score from an editor and from an agent. And, and all you got was just like a number score. You didn't get any feedback. And that was how they decided the winner. And I got my scores back. And the Agent had given me a seven. I was like, okay, it was out of ten. I was like, okay, you know, I can I can live with a seven. And the editor gave me a three, and I was livid. I was like, a three? At least it has correct English grammatical sentences. That alone can get you more than a three. And like for for years, like I would go on and on about this three, and and um and uh, this editor actually one year came to our conference as one of the guest editors, and I was on the board at the time of CTRWI. I wasn't president, but I was on the board, and they were like, you better behave? And I'm like, of course I'm going to behave. I'm not an idiot. And actually what was funny is we're not along great. I really want her had a lot in common. I did not say anything to her about the three, okay? But years later, and and, and years later, I uh, and, and she's a, a great editor, very well-known, liked, and respected. Years later, after uh, Triple Threat was, I got a contract for it and it was published, I would tell the story to young writers. And the lesson being, don't ever let anyone's single opinion determine your path you oh know, yeah she was writing is subjective she was one person with one opinion she the books she edits are very different from the blaze books um and um you know so for me like that you know was it was a hard at the time it was a a a, a, a felt like a huge slap in the face at the time. But what I learned from that harsh, I don't know if you want to call it advice, but was that, you know, it's okay. Not everybody's going to like your stuff. And, and if it's one person and you're getting something from that one person, don't let that one person totally derail you. Years later, this editor and I were, I saw that I was, um, I was going to be giving a workshop at a conference, and I saw that she was too. So I decided that I was going to bring a copy of my book for her, which was had now been published. <laughs> and I actually, because I knew from meeting her at our conference that she had a good sense of humor, and she really was... So at that conference, I said, let's have coffee. So we sat down and had coffee and I told her this story and I told her how I would tell it to people without using her name and as a, as a lesson. And she's like, you know what? I, I so love that. And I gave her a copy of triple threat that I signed to her and I signed it, her name. I hope it's better than a three now, Regina.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. She
2: thought it was hysterical and she (laughs) took it in the the way it was intended.
1: (laughs) So, knowing what you know now, what advice would author Regina Kyle now go back and give herself at the beginning of your writing career?
2: Um, I wish I could tell myself to have started earlier. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I would just tell myself, um, you know, that it's going to be a journey with hills and valleys. It, this isn't like a steady ascent, yeah. You know, and and there really is no mountaintop you're striving for. I mean, I remember when you first start, you think the contract, the contract. If I could just get a contract, and then you get a contract, and you realize, like, if this is Everest, you're at base camp, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Now, like the work for real begins.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think I would just tell myself it it's it's a journey that's going to have peaks and valleys and and that's okay you know that's half of the fun and you have to put in you have to you have to do the work you know i think sometimes when i've gotten frustrated and and it's again it's that comparisonitis and you see other people you get so caught up in that that you forget You need to sit down and you need to put in the work. Uh You know, it's not going to magically happen. Got to do the work. And lastly, where can everyone follow you online? Uh, I am uh, primarily on right now, Facebook and Instagram. I'm just starting to dabble in TikTok. God help me. but, uh, and, and doing some Instagram reels. Um, but I'm on Instagram as um, Romance by Regina. I'm on uh, Facebook as Regina Kyle. And I also have a, a fun um, reader group, Regina's Rabble Rousers. So if you look for Regina's Rabble Rousers on Facebook, I'll do like exclusive teasers in there and giveaways. And I'm always posting about books that I love that are on sale and, um, you know, sometimes just fun little little stuff. So I'm there. Um, I have a on my website, which is reginakyle.com, you can actually go on and read an excerpt. I have excerpts of all of my books on there. So if you really want to get a sense of what my writing is like and what my different books are like, you get a pretty good sense of that from my website. And that's got all my social links in there, BookBub and, and Goodreads and everything else too. But I'm most active right now on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today and letting us pick your brain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we thank just, you guys for having me i'm so glad we were able to do this it has been a real delight i super enjoy your podcast so it was a real well, honor you. to be asked to uh to be here with you guys
1: well it was an honor for us that you said yes so thank you <laughs> listeners make sure you check the show notes we'll have links to everywhere you can keep up with regina kyle as well as all the places where you can get her books so make sure you check there regina please come back <laughs> just saying <laughs>
2: anytime <laughs> anytime mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. i can track down kimberly fay i'll
1: bring her with me Yay. we just want to know if she's okay okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. the vampires get her what's happening yes. here <laughs> <laughs> and listeners thank you for listening sarah and i will chat with you in our next episode have a lovely day everybody
0: bye everybody